Coming up on Stu Does America. China lied about coronavirus at the beginning, but now everything's changed, right? Eh, not so much. We'll give you the details. Aaron Colon of TheBlaze.com talks about coronavirus and the media and why both of them suck. And Brad Palumbo from The Washington Examiner tells us the obvious. Hillary Clinton attacking Trump while he's trying to handle a global pandemic is a bit tacky, even for someone who wears those pantsuits. As long as YouTube, Facebook, and your favorite podcast platforms are still in operation, throw us a like, a rating, and a review, whatever you can spare. And don't forget to subscribe and click that bell on YouTube. Get all the notifications so you actually know when we post something. And since we're all going to die in an apocalyptic global pandemic, go to blazetv.com slash stew and get 30 bucks off your subscription. Make sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. I'm hoping coronavirus doesn't just affect sexy people like Chris Cuomo, because if it does, I mean, I may be next. And I may need to look in you know, my basement and unlock the doors and trap myself down there with my television as well. Stu does America. I'm sorry. I hate to be the one to tell you. Your wife is cheating on you. No, she's not. You say. I don't mean you specifically. But who am I to judge? I don't know. Well, I don't have a wife. I'm a woman. I don't mean you specifically. But I say again, who am I to judge? Take yourself out of the situation for a second and just let me work the metaphor. Can we do that? Can we play? You remember your high school sweetheart? Oh, yes, you dated her for a long time, and she wasn't always faithful, you know? But that was a long time ago. And eventually, you made her your wife. Sure, you noticed she started ending her days with a bottle or two of white zimph. That's okay, you know, adulting is hard, and it was good to see her get a hobby. You know, she really seemed to dive into that yoga class with the handsome instructor who well, honestly, does seem to text her at inappropriate hours. Uh, and there was that time that you borrowed her phone and there was that really explicit picture on it of, of her and the yoga instructor. You know, when you confront her about this, of course, first there's denial, then there's excuses, and then there's blame. Eventually, she gets to an apology and a promise to tell the truth from now on. That's China. China is our wife. We can go back in history and catalog all the times they cheated on us before. Like the time they told us, those aren't prison camps at all. If they don't want to come, then what happens? We've encountered that before. Uh, we proactively guide them. It doesn't a place where people have to come, sure that. obey the rules, stay until you allow them to leave, sound more like a prison, even if it's a prison in which you can do some art. Prison? Is there a prison where you can paint? It's not prison. You can paint there. When the COVID-19 outbreak began, we first got denial, then we got excuses. Then our military even got blamed for the virus itself. Eventually, China did apologize for silencing its own doctors and causing the world several vital weeks that could have changed the entire course of this disaster. And now China expects us to believe that they're having almost no new cases of the virus. Their entire country. Huh. 1.3 billion people. They only have half the cases that we have. That's interesting. Really? Are we really supposed to believe this? It's like after her apology, when your wife tells you that she just needs to go on a girl's weekend to a resort and get her head clear. But when you call her, you're pretty sure you can hear the yoga instructor in the background. Guys, I'm pretty sure China is cheating on us. 
It's hard to see exactly what is happening and on what scale, but it's clear we're not getting the truth. Some of it's been hidden. For example, we have this unchanging estimate uh, of about 80,000 cases in Wuhan and the surrounding provinces. Where's the full test data, though? Does China want to help the world or not? Is it protecting its image? What's going on here? Let us see the results of all the tests done throughout the country. Perhaps that would explain how they miraculously have stopped the virus from spreading anywhere else. Some of it is just anecdotal. For example, the thousands of extra urns flowing into the area. And the residents who said the true uh, the official death toll in Wuhan can't be right because the incinerators have been working around the clock. That's comforting. Maybe it's just cold, though. I don't know. Some of it is bureaucracy. After terrifying the world last time with the way they handled SARS, China told us that they had it eh, much better handle on it this time. Viruses like SARS could emerge any time, but there'll never be another SARS incident. Mm. Uh, that's thanks to how well our national contagious disease surveillance system works. It does work so well, doesn't it? Problem is the doctors wanted to report the disease but local Communist Party officials made sure that it didn't happen. The local health administration clearly made a choice not to use the reporting system, said a professor of political science. It's clear they were trying to resolve the problem within the province. Oops. As we've talked about before, uh, during this time, they expelled reporters from The Washington Post, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal, which only makes their favorable media treatment in America that much more perplexing. They only just admitted that they haven't been reporting on asymptomatic cases, which can make a massive difference in their numbers. Much of this might seem unimportant. It sure you know, does seem unimportant to the media, at least. But we desperately need to understand what is happening in China so that we can craft our response to the virus. For example, if China has really moved past the virus, why are they closing down the buildings they reopened? They opened up their movie theaters and then they closed their movie theaters. They opened up parks and entertainment attractions, and then they closed parks and entertainment attractions. They opened up internet cafes, and then they closed internet cafes. They opened up their skyscrapers, and then they closed their skyscrapers, including the second tallest building in the world, the Shanghai Tower. They opened up their shady hot girl hostess businesses, and then they closed their shady hot girl hostess businesses. That last one I only know because someone signed me up for their email newsletter. If I ever find out who it was, wow, am I going to be upset at you. The point is, there is literally no way we're getting uh, the numbers from China that are actually real. This is not academic, and it's not about pride. I don't care if we have the most cases. It's about having the correct information so that we can protect American lives. What exactly is going on in China? We don't know. We only know that it's worse than they're telling us. Why are they taking their numbers uh, and, and feeding them to us, and why is our media asking us to take it seriously? Why is our media believing them? Jim Garrity of National Review, who has been a must read and uh, has documented what China has been doing better than anyone through the past few months, ask a couple of, uh, asks a couple of terrifying questions today. What if the only effective way to slow the spread of the virus is to take measures that are absolutely catastrophic for a country's economy? And what if China endured the lockdown conditions for as long as the country's economy could bear, just short of the extreme conditions that could prompt a revolt against the current regime, and then reopen the factories, hoping that a second wave of coronavirus wouldn't be too harmful? Ah, I don't think I even want to know the answers to those questions, but we need to. Just like you don't necessarily want to know how that slinky yellow banana hammock got in, stuck kind of in the door of your wife's car. 
She keeps saying it's a present for you, but that doesn't make any sense because your waist is not that small and the rest of you is not that big. I hate to be the one to break it to you, but it belongs to the yoga instructor. And just like the coronavirus, it was made in China too. Brad Palumbo is uh, with us. His latest op-ed in the Washington Examiner, Hillary Clinton's toxic coronavirus commentary uses dead Americans as a political weapon. Brad, I mean, I have really low expectations when it comes to politicians. But, I mean, this was even surprising to me. Hillary Clinton kind of stooped to a brand new low level here. Yeah, she absolutely did. And if there's so many things wrong with her tweet. And what she did was she, quote, tweeted a, 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 a news report saying that there were uh, that the U.S. had the number one confirmed cases of coronavirus. And she, quote, tweeted it and was like bragging about it, like Trump did promise us America first. Mm. There's so many things wrong with that. I don't know where to start. For one, that relies on the numbers coming out of China, which is just ridiculous because everybody knows they're lying and they've been obfuscating this crisis the entire time. Two, it takes the Italy numbers without factoring for population. Italy's much worse off when you look relative mm -hmm. to population. And three, it's just in really poor taste. You're talking about dead Americans to dunk on the guy who beat you in 2016. How bitter can you look? Yeah. What, what is the temptation here, Brad? Because I, there is this temptation, I think, I don't know if it's Twitter. I don't know if it's just people just wanting to have that great moment where they can talk about it with all their friends and brag. But whatever it is, it's an, it brings out the absolute worst in us. What is the temptation here? Well, I think for Hillary Clinton, it's about staying relevant, right? Because she's used to having gone from the White House to a senator to a two-time presidential candidate. She's used to spotlight on her, and she can't really deal with the fact that no one really pays attention to her unless she does something very inflammatory. And it's a shame, right? Because it distracts from any valid criticism of President Trump's handling of the coronavirus crisis, you know, which is improving, I think, a lot, but isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. When he first started out, he certainly wasn't taking it seriously enough, even if he looks to be increasingly doing so, but it looks it just discredits your ability to attack him at all or criticize him at all when you're doing things like this just to get retweets or, or trigger the conservatives or whatever Hillary Clinton's going for here, laughing about the fact that thousands of Americans have died and try to turn it into a dunk on America first. Yeah, it really is terrifying that the person who could have been president of the United States is joking about thousands of, of Americans and could be tens of thousands very soon. I mean, it really, it's a, it's a serious situation. There's this odd sort of implication in the tweet that if, if only Hillary Clinton had been in charge, we would skate through this much more easily. I mean, I don't, I see absolutely no basis for that uh, opinion, do you? No, I don't think that's true at all. I mean, you can just look, uh, you can just look back at Hillary Clinton's tenure as Secretary of State. How did she handle the crisis in Benghazi? Do we need to go through that again? How did she handle confidential information on her email servers? Right? She can't really claim credibility as as much as Trump's temperament isn't exactly perfectly suited for a crisis. Right? She can't claim that she's some perfect, stable uh, genius. On the other hand, <laughs> and also just Democrats in general, look at Bill De Blasio and Andrew Cuomo. Both of them are Hillary Clinton-style Democrats. 
they totally botched handling New York and New York City. They downplayed the threat. Bill de Blasio was telling people, go out, go to restaurants, go to Chinatown. He was totally flouting the seriousness of this crisis for a long time. And they've turned New York City into the worst part of the country with the coronavirus right now. So the idea that Hillary Clinton style Democrat being in charge would somehow be better to me seems not proven at all by the reality we're living in. Yeah, you know, it's something interesting about this particular moment in that the, the, the typical political attacks that go back and forth, I mean, this happens on every little subject. We kind of all expect it. We expect politicians to try to take advantage. But this is so serious. Like the fact that every little turn in our politics is always called a crisis no matter what it is. You really can't do that for at least a while after this is over. Crisis means what we're going through now. Don't tell me about student loans or don't tell me about, uh, you know, minimum wage or don't tell me about any of these other things. This is a real crisis. But give me a little bit of uh, perspective. I hope that's something that can come out of this at least. I would hope so, too. You know, I, I wrote another column about this for The Examiner where I said, I hope Bernie Sanders and AOC and Elizabeth Warren never use the term student debt crisis again <laughs> in their lifetimes. I'm not I'm not optimistic, <laughs> but I think it, it just shows you the problem with alarmist rhetoric. You know, people having to pay a couple hundred bucks a month for student loans. You know, I just graduated college a few years ago. I know that's not fun, but it's not the same as a crisis where you have thousands of Americans at risk, possibly tens of thousands if this keeps getting worse. So this shows us the general problem with politically alarmist rhetoric that oftentimes the socialist left uses to push their radical agenda, right? They have to convince people that everything's terrible. Otherwise, why would they overhaul everything we have? Uh, but that means they call everything a crisis from climate change to student loans. Well, now we're living through a crisis. And if we take one thing out of it, I hope it's a wake up call when it comes to kind of uh, apocalyptic rhetoric. Mm. Um, I want to uh, move off the coronavirus here in a second, but before I do, where are you and, and what is life like for you right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to you out of Washington, D.C. and my, well, the Virginia suburbs in Arlington. Uh, haven't left the apartment for a little while, but we just had a uh, statewide mandatory lockdown ordered by Governor Ralph Northam yesterday, which, you know, I think is the right call. One thing I thought was extreme was he extended it out to June 10th mm. or June 14th or out into middle of June. That doesn't make much sense to me. I was thinking he would follow the federal guidelines and put it out till April 30th. But as things stand, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> Neither is anyone else in the Virginia, D.C. area uh, until June, it looks like. This isn't even a government question, but just personal preference. Do you would you rather have the like far off a deadline so you have something long in the future to, to plan for and then they move it up earlier if things go well? Or would you rather have them kind of going every few weeks and updating it and extending it a little bit? Yeah, well, I'm blessed beyond belief, you know, as a journalist. I, I can't stand when I see journalists whining about coronavirus on Twitter unless they have a unique circumstance. Almost all of us are able to work remotely. Mm -hmm. Our salaries are not in danger. So we're very lucky in that regard. I personally don't have a strong preference. I think it would be better uh, to keep going as the situation demands rather than setting some months out deadline because we really don't know if we've if we've seen one thing it's that these predictions are variable the situation keeps changing we can't be projecting months out into the future accurately in my opinion yeah i'm with you on that i think i'd rather have it updated I, plus at least gives you a little bit of hope um let me move on to one other thing you mentioned the media and i, I want to go into the into one situation that i find fascinating right now um, which is joe biden uh and he and his accuser here 
um, as he's been accused of sexual harassment going back a number of years, over 20 years now. Um, and the situation is being completely ignored by the media. Uh, it, is, it is one of those things that is being handled completely differently than, let's say, the Kavanaugh situation or many others on the Republican side that we've seen over the years. Um, you know, do you have a take on this as to, you know, because I, I go back and forth on this. It's obviously a double standard. I don't even think there's an argument there. The double standard absolutely applies. I go back and forth as to whether which one I think is more appropriate. I mean, I think, you know, when you don't have evidence, if you have one accuser who's telling their story from a number of years ago, maybe the Biden way is actually the correct way for this to be handled unless there is a, you know, an extraordinary amount of evidence. I think that just having accusers come out and tell their stories and us, and us uh, you know, sort of harassing the person who's been accused without extensive evidence is probably not the right way to to do this, even though I think Joe Biden would be an absolutely terrible president. You know, I, I completely agree with you, Stu. I was pro due process, pro Kavanaugh uh, in every sense during that controversy. But I'm also to be consistent. I have to be pro Joe Biden. You know, a staffer named Tara Reid has accused him of having groped her and sexually assaulted her in 1993 when she worked in his office. Now, she has a little bit of corroboration, and we do know for a fact that she did work in his office, but he deserves the same presumption of innocence as anyone else. So I tend to agree with you that journalists should generally, as a rule, just be more cautious about publicizing stories with no evidence. Now, the problem is the double standard you mentioned. Remember the months of national outrage we got from the liberal national press over Brett Kavanaugh? Well, now, I mean, I poked through for hours today trying to find any mention of this woman's name outside of conservative media or a few fringe left-wing sites. New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, Washington Post, The Atlantic, New Yorker, all of it has completely ghosted the story. They're ignoring it totally, betraying every standard they set in Kavanaugh because this time it's a Democrat, not a Republican. To me, that is unconscionable and it is political activism masquerading as objective journalism, Stu. Yeah, you know, I kind of feel like at least in the past, maybe they would have, you know, mention the story briefly and buried it on page 37. They're not even doing that now. They're, I mean, there is just absolutely no coverage of this whatsoever. And, you know, I, you know I've always felt like there's a thing that's, that's happened, I think, through the Me Too era. And obviously there's been a lot of really good things that have come out of that. One of the things I think is, is, is a bad development is, you know, we saw this even with Harvey Weinstein, who is, you know, the worst person in the universe in many, many ways. Um, they were taking accusers of his and just running the accusation as an opinion column. It's like, well, if you have facts to back up a rape accusation, you need to you need to put it in the news section. It's not an opinion column. And this sort of thing where the accusation is a story in and of itself applies seemingly only to Republicans or, or people who are so far down the road, like Harvey Weinstein, uh, that there doesn't seem to be any debate over them anymore. It's just not a, to me. It's not journalism. If the media, if the liberal media didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all, increasingly, is how it seems to me. You know, I looked at a media research center study that I cited in, in my report on this for the Washington Examiner. They went through and looked at since the week since Tara Reid went public with her accusation against Joe Biden, Joe Biden has been on cable television on liberal shows, NBC and CNN, and he's had almost 50 questions asked to him by liberal-leaning anchors. Not one question even mentioned the accuser in any way, mm. including a one-hour town hall on CNN. Somehow it didn't come up.
Let me tell you just, if this was Mitch McConnell, it would be on the front page of everything. I know we're in the middle of coronavirus, so maybe it wouldn't be the number one story. But if this was Mitch McConnell, I promise you every CNN anchor would be talking about it. But Joe Biden, apparently they have different rules for their liberal friends. All right, I'm going to leave it there. Brad, thanks so much for coming on the program. Brad Palumbo, he's a deputy contributor's editor at Washington Examiner. And thanks for coming on the program, Brad. Back in a second. Americans are terrified. What is your message to them? My message is that the president has to move more rapidly. You know, we know from experience that speed matters. We know that you can't go too fast. It's about going too slow. And in order to avoid that, those very high numbers, we have to do at least several things. One, we have to uh, depend on what the president's going to do right now. And first of all, he has to uh, tell... uh, uh, wait till the cases before anything happens. What? Look, the whole idea is he's got to get in place things that were shortages of. Oh. We're not testing enough people. We don't. Our first responders, docs and nurses, oh. don't have the gloves, the masks. They don't have now. the equipment they need. We're short on ventilators, and as this spreads to other areas, and which is likely to do, <laughs> the road's going we don't now. have the capacity to surge the equipment that they need. We have to, he has to use the Defense Production Act much more aggressively, including not just in ventilators, but getting gloves, masks, shields, gowns, etc. You know what I think about that Joe Biden clip? He has to get the words to the places of where, of which, of where, look, of... The president needs to talk in word in word form. Thank you. I mean, the Biden thing is a disaster, isn't it? He just feels like he's a car that never gets into gear. I mean, about halfway through that, he started to under like make some sort of sense. He's trying to read notes. He's trying. I don't know what he's doing there. It really is pathetic. Um, and I can understand at this point why they want Andrew Cuomo so bad. Well, maybe let me rethink that. No, I don't. I don't understand that either. He's terrible as well. Uh, by the way, Cuomo did a, another press conference today, which is I, it's the only reason I swear Andrew Cuomo is in existence right now, so he can give press conferences and look better than Bill de Blasio. Uh, he did announce his brother, uh, Chris Cuomo from CNN, uh, has coronavirus. Uh, he tweeted it out as well. He says, in these difficult times, it seemed to get more uh, difficult and complicated by the day. I just found out that I am positive for coronavirus. I've been exposed to people in recent days who have subsequently tested positive. I've had fevers, chills, and shortness of breath. I just hope I didn't give it to the kids and Christina. Oof, yeah, we definitely hope that that's, uh, uh, that's not happening. And, uh, you know, we wish them the best. It's, it's, it's a tough thing, man. I, I would say... Going through that right now, if you're in the middle of going through coronavirus, you know there's a really good chance this turns into just an illness and it's not all that bad. But there's that. I mean, you realize that you've got a chance here that this could be it. I mean, it's happened to people in very short periods of time. It's got to be terrifying, particularly if you're in a, in a uh, at-risk group. Uh, Chris Cuomo says he'll still continue to do his show from his basement. Um, so I know you'll be tuning into that uh, each and every night. Um, I've been interested to watch this sort of develop and watch uh, the, the the perception of, you know, largely conservatives. I'm kind of fascinated by the way they're perceiving this. We know the left is going to hate Trump no matter what. Uh, conservatives are looking at this and saying, I don't know, we need to balance 
I mean, the economy is life, right? It's civilization. Uh, it's not nothing. This is not a silly argument uh, where we're like, well, what do we do? I mean, what's the best thing for the country going forward? What's the best thing for our grandkids? We all know we want to keep everybody alive, but we also can't risk losing all of society here and be out of commission for years and years at a time. Um, it's a really tough thing to balance. And it's interesting to see how fast this develops. Let me give you this uh, poll. It's from YouGov. Uh, number of fatalities. If you had to guess, how many people do you think will die in the U.S. because of a coronavirus uh, over the next year? Uh, first of all, a little, little dark. Question's a little dark, let's be honest about it. But uh, less than 100 people, 5% said less than 100 people. I don't think you're following the news very closely. Uh, so we've already been over, we're over 3,000 3, uh, by, by a long shot already. Um, another 19% said more than 100 but less than 1,000. Again, we're past this already. Uh, so that's 24% of people who have absolutely no idea what's going on. Um, 46% said more than 1,000 but less than 10,000. Again, we have not internalized what this means yet. We're going well north of 10,000 fatalities in the United States. Uh, I hate to tell you, it's terrible, but it's true. Um, about 31% said more than 10,000. They broke this down um, separately, and they said, if you say more than 10,000, what do you mean? About a third of people said between 10,000 and 100,000. Half of those people said between 100,000 and a million. And then 15% of that group said more than a million. But to just show you how fast this has moved, they asked the same question on March 11th, okay? March 11th, they said, if you had to guess, how many people do you think will die in the U.S. because of coronavirus over the next year? 12% said less than 100. Um, 37% said more than 100 and less than 1,000. So half of people thought it was going to be less than 1,000 people who died. Um, and less than 10,000 was another 32%. So 81% of the population on, on March 11th said it was going to be less than 10,000 people, which it's not going to be. I mean, barring an absolute miracle, uh, unless, you know, God just kind of steps in right now, just comes down and be like, nah, no more. That's about our only chance to get less than 10,000 in the United States right now. This is a terrible situation. And I think we can all kind of like internalize this a little bit when we look back at politicians on March 11th and say you know, they were saying the wrong thing. A lot of them were, Trump included in that. I don't know, well, he wasn't as late as March 11th, but you know, people even like Andrew Cuomo, who was doing it March 17th, March 18th, a lot of people didn't believe that this was gonna be this bad at that time. It is their job to figure this out though, so that's a little bit different. And the experts themselves, this is a collection of polls uh, from 538, they said, uh, hey, uh, Mr. Expert over there, how many people are gonna die from this thing? Um, and you know, there's some, they give you a kind of range of estimates if we could show this. This, uh, the lowest, the best case scenario in the United States was 36,000 for a best guess. Best case scenario. You can see it goes all the way up to well over 500,000 at the worst case scenario. Though they give an error bar thing, and I love the error bar of the second estimate here. The, the person seemed to say, I don't know, somewhere between zero and 2.5 million will die. You know, that's a, I gotta say, I could have done that one. I mean, somewhere between one and a billion is my estimate. You can use that in your expert notations. I believe somewhere between one and a billion will be victimized by this particular ailment. Uh, that is, I, it's not exactly science, I think, when you have that big of a range. But I will say that that's, that's, that's scary. I mean, I don't know. Look, I understand the balance here. But there's a certain, uh, there's only a certain appetite here for what we can handle when it comes to, God forbid, this awful, awful loss of life and this terrible situation we're all in. We'll keep monitoring it for you, even, 
even though, honestly, I want to stop. But we'll keep doing it anyway. Back in a second. Aaron Cullen is a staff writer here at The Blaze. He's also emerging as a prominent voice in conservative media as a whole, or at least that's what he was telling me before we came on. Aaron has been covering the spread of COVID-19 with fresh articles coming out every single day. Aaron, welcome back to the program. Can I offer you a mask or some hand sanitizer? It's uh, too late for all that. It's yeah. not, yeah, not going to matter now. Yeah. How do you feel about being one of the expendables uh, well, sent into the actual office? You know what? I'll do anything for this company, even apparently get exposed to COVID-19. So yeah, it's not that bad. Don't worry. It's well, in the health insurance, right? Oh, I think so. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. Uh, I think they even got rid of the co-pays for it. So oh, you're, nice. you're totally fine. Nice. Um, it's we're being caught in the middle of covering this because we're doing daily shows every day and trying to come up with new angles to talk about this. Um, and I, I think I'm going to look back at this era in my life as just a total blur. Absolutely. Um, so tell me if this makes any sense. My my impression of the way the media has handled this is really poorly. Is that accurate or am I just kind of like living in my little bubble? I think that's accurate. And I think the American people feel that way, too, based on polls that have come out. I mean, I think. What they're getting from the media is they're getting extremism, they're getting panic, they're getting everything that Trump says is wrong, everything that he does is wrong. Even if he switches from one thing to the opposite thing the next day, they'll still say it's wrong because no matter what he does, he can't win. I think it's frustrating to people who just want reassurance. They just want clear directions on what they're supposed to do. And they're not getting that. They're getting these studies that say everybody's going to die. Yeah. But then they're also saying you have to stay home because you don't want to die. Nobody knows what to do and everybody's confused. And I think it's just almost better and more useful to just turn it off because they don't feel like the information they're getting is helpful. Mm. I have a, uh, I have an incredibly, um, uh, incredibly impressive um, observation that no one else thinks is, is incredible except me, um, which is that the health reporting in the United States is worse than the political reporting. Like it's hard to imagine something being worse than the political reporting in the United States. Yeah, I think that's what we're finding out too. And I think what makes it worse is that the stakes feel so much higher. Yeah. Like when you're reporting on Congress and stuff, most people look at half the stuff that Congress does and they say, well, that doesn't really affect me. It's right. not a big deal. This is our lives. This is whether we're going to have jobs. This is whether our kids can go to school. And so the stakes are so much higher. And so when it, they're, the same level of irresponsibility exists with this, it becomes a way bigger deal than when it's something political. Yeah, and I think that it, like the, the over, and, and the reason I say the health uh, reporting thing is not because of even this particular issue. It's because of like every time, you know, someone has a scoop of butter, we're told they're going, they have a 25% higher chance of getting, you know, brain cancer. Mm-hmm. And people just have now taken health scare headlines and in the, it starts with skepticism. So now we're in a situation where thousands of people have died, yep. um, but it took a long time for people to take it seriously. I think because of the long uh, road of not only health perform, uh, reporting, but also really bad political reporting that made this into an issue that I think a lot of people didn't take seriously for a long time. Right. And we had a lot of notice that this was a thing. Yeah. And it, it was one thing when it was in China, it's like, oh, this is a thing that's happening. But even when it started coming here, there the combination of the level of distrust from China and a distrust from the media made a lot of people, when it became a serious thing here, to say that everything is an overreaction. And so because there, we think all the headlines are sensationalized, 
We're trained to yeah. think that everything that we hear from the mainstream media, we should take it two steps down because it's not really that serious. Now there's a lot of confusion. There's some people who just still right now to this day think maybe this isn't real. Maybe we shouldn't be doing anything about it. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle of the extreme to where we're all going to die to where this is just fake and we don't need to do anything. But we're having trouble getting to that moderate place as a society of how to handle this in a, in a reasonable way. Yeah, I did a segment yesterday about... Um kind of comparing all of this to soap opera drama. Because I feel like the, the media is kind of in this role where they're always trying to, cr- to give you that little tension. There's, there, there's, there's tension behind the scenes. The, the doctors are fighting with the president. The president's fighting with the doctors. We don't know what kind of information we're getting. It, it seems to me, though, if you actually cared about uh, and prioritized people's lives and getting rid of this virus uh, as number one, the last thing in the world you'd want to do is take this person that you call so erratic and ca- cause a rift between him and the doctors. But they still seem to kind of do that every day. Right. It's interesting. And what we're learning is that every doctor is very good and smart until they agree with or praise the president. <laughs> and then yeah. suddenly it's like they're bought out by the administration, mm-hmm. they're right wing extreme, whatever. So you trust them until they agree with Trump. So again, it's a, he can't win. And also now we're undermining the public health experts who have been doing, Fauci has been doing this in that position since what, 84 or something like that. Mm -hmm. He knows this better than anybody. And, but we want to make a narrative and a divide and a conflict, like you said, a soap opera. And after every one of these briefings, it's almost like there's as many stories about Fauci's hand gestures or whether he contradicted something the president said a little bit. And he's come out himself and said, listen, the president might say things a little bit differently than me, but at the same time, we're in agreement on how to go forward. But that doesn't get as much attention as when he covers his mouth or something during yeah. a press conference. And suddenly it's like, are they are they dividing or what's the case? And it doesn't that's not helpful to they anybody. They want it so badly. They want these they want them to be fighting so badly when that's mm-hmm. obviously if you look at the world from their viewpoint. I mean, Donald Trump is this erratic guy who doesn't care about anything. He's some racist and does all these terrible things all day. All he wants to do is hurt people and enrich his buddies. Mm-hmm. And he has this one guy who's there, the hero, and you're trying to uh, drive a wedge between them, I guess, to prove that you were right or to get a better story. I mean, what is the purpose of this? I'm not sure what the purpose is. And it's funny because now we're seeing like the media becoming the story a lot, making themselves the story. Who asked the question? Who passed the microphone to the other person? And again, going back to people tuning out the media, the general public doesn't care about the sort of goings on of press briefings. They care about the information being clear, and I think that's getting lost in the coverage. What do you think? How do you see conservative media doing through this? Because it's been a, it's been a challenge, I think, for a lot of people. I think, you know, typically conservatives kind of come out on the skeptical side of scare tactics, mm-hmm. I'd say generally speaking. Um, and, you know, this kind of came and, and the president initially was sort of on that same side of being really skeptical that it was going to be much of anything. But I mean, a lot of people were. We played a, a yeah. clips, clips of them yesterday. Um and now this, as it's developed, there's been, to me, a sense of at least some in the in the conservative media that kind of developed a, uh, an opinion on this on like January 28th and are still holding it today. Um, you know, the, the things on the, you know, the conditions on the ground seemingly have changed. The president has clearly changed. I mean, he has shut down the economy for six weeks in the middle of an election year. Uh, but I, I haven't seen necessarily that be reflected with conservative media. How, how is that? How is it going? Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about this today. I remember the day, I think it was late February, when Japan closed the schools. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to myself, and I might even said it on News & Why or something like that, that that seemed like, wow, that's an overreaction. That seems crazy. They don't have that many yeah. cases. Because from our perspective, it, it seemed extreme. 
now we know more and we see how Japan is handling it now, it seems like it's going well and it seems like maybe they had the right idea. Yeah. And I think, first of all, people have to be willing to admit that they're wrong. That's something that a lot of people struggle with. I'm not saying anybody specifically, but you have to be able to admit you're wrong and move forward with new information. I think conservative media also struggles with, it's good to be skeptical, but it's hard to express skepticism with a situation like this that's so life and death. It's hard to express it in a way that also seems like compassionate about the people who are really suffering and dying from this. And so when you come out and say, oh, this is no big deal, oh, there's only X number of thousand people who have died, and you start doing percentages and numbers, it yeah. can come off as really impersonal. And it's not meant that way, but it's easy for that to get misinterpreted. And so it's hard to put those facts out there to sort of calm people down in a way that doesn't seem like you're brushing over the fact that, yes, thousands of people are dying, and that's a big deal. And it seems like the media is doing the reverse, right? Like they are completely... Uh, you know, brushing off the idea that, you know, shutting down the economy for six weeks is actually really going to affect people's lives. Millions of people are going to be unemployed. Uh, you know, we've seen uh, plenty of research over the years that shows that economic downturns lead to more death, more despair, especially among the poor. Mm -hmm. This really can hurt a lot of people. And it seems as if, as you, and you kind of pointed this out, if you try to make a sensible cost-benefit analysis. It can sometimes feel cold, but it's also something we have to do. Right. Because, yeah, because the fact of the economy is people are losing their jobs. People are going to have trouble feeding their families. People are going to struggle for this for a long time after this season of COVID-19 moves forward. And what's been created in, with the loudest voices in the mainstream media is this dynamic that if you're not panicking then you're saying we're choosing the economy over people's lives. It's right. become this false sort of choice. Like you either care about people's lives or you care about the economy. And anybody who tries to merge those together and says, well, the economy is people's lives, mm -hmm. yeah. you get kind of pushed out and saying you're not getting it. And so it's hard to be rational about the situation because the emotional coverage is sort of what's being out there and people pick up on that. You know, it's interesting going into this year, we're you know watching this stupid show. Um, and, you know, part of it is making people laugh. The last thing in the world I thought we'd be doing is trying to make people laugh in the middle of some pandemic. Can you tell me your best COVID-19 <laughs> joke Oh, right I've got now? lots of them. I've got tons. Right, tons. Tell me after that. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll tell you. Um, what we thought we were going to be talking about was the election. Mm -hmm. The presidential election <laughs> is about that. theoretically going on still. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a primary that's not done yet. All these, uh, the, these days are canceled. Now everyone seems to want Andrew Cuomo, who, to, in my view, has done a terrible job in New York. Uh, Apparently he's crisis. a hero now. Now that's he's a I've hero. Yeah. He got 87% approval rating somehow with New Yorkers. We need to make this stop. It's the personal jihad of this program. Um, but I, I, I'm trying to figure out like, how does this happen? A, do you think that Cuomo, is there any chance of that actually happening? And B, you know, Joe Biden has has be, has been such a zero in this whole saga. I feel like he's completely disappeared. Yeah, Joe. One of the weird things that's happened in this is that Joe Biden, when he's been able to turn his whole campaign into sitting in his home and doing TV hits and live streams and very controlled things, he's looked worse than ever. Yeah, he's looked terrible. He he doesn't seem like he knows what he's talking about. He'll say things that Trump needs to do that Trump has already done. <laughs> he doesn't seem to have any knowledge of the talking points or of the, the real issues of this. And so in a situation where you thought he would thrive, that's more controlled. He's, he's being hurt by it. Bernie Sanders has disappeared. I haven't really heard from him in any kind of way. Um, so, I, I mean, I think this is good for Trump politically. It's weird to say that. I don't mean like yeah, the virus right. is good for him, but because he's handling the crisis in a way that I think people generally approve of and because Joe Biden is looking so irrelevant, I mean, wherever we come out of this in November, I, I don't think the Democratic candidate is going to be strong. I don't think it's going to be Cuomo. I, 
I don't know what he's done, and maybe I'm the wrong person to ask because yeah. I don't know what he's done that makes him presidential. Oh yeah, I mean, his I it is his job as governor to advocate for his state and to make sure they have enough resources. And apparently, he's you know he's done that at some level. You know, I think he's done some good things. I, you know, like for example, him he's worked with the president well, which mm-hmm. is which is an important thing. You know, you could have made that into a political thing a little bit more than he has. Um, but like you, you look at this and, it, and it's like I think the reason why Cuomo looks good is because the other two prominent Democrats who are involved in this situation are Joe Biden, who looks terrible, mm-hmm. and Bill de Blasio, who looks terrible. It's like Cuomo is just like by default the only guy who's on TV a lot that's a Democrat who hasn't looked completely incompetent. Yeah, I think there's a number of governors in the country who are doing the same thing that Cuomo is yeah. doing. The fact that he's in New York and it's the epicenter of the situation, he's sort of capitalizing on that. And the media. like yeah. They're all there. It's their hometown, a lot of them. They, they are watching this all go down. They're watching him every day. They know him. And then it probably looks good to Democrats to see somebody who's not 80, who yeah. speaks clearly, <laughs> who speaks sort of with some energy and looks yeah. like maybe he can get something done. And you compare that to Bernie Sanders, who's too extreme, and you compare it to Joe Biden, who doesn't seem like he knows what day it is. And I guess it's by default. But I, I really have trouble seeing that situation where he comes out with the nomination. I know some people yeah. who seem to know things have said that, but... I'd, I'd really be surprised. If I mean, Biden has it unless he chooses to leave, I think, right. or has some health problem, God mm-hmm. forbid. Um, one last thing here. Donald Trump enters this race. I mean, we a month ago, we're thinking about here's a guy with a great economy, but has a, a lot of personal traits that people don't generally seem to to dig all that much unless you're in the base. Now we're in a totally different situation. The nation's biggest challenge in our lifetimes and probably anybody who's watching's lifetime, um, going back at least to like, what, World War II? I mean, like this is this is insanity. I mean, people would say, oh, well, you know, 9-11. And and of course, 9-11 was a huge thing. And these were all big challenges. But this is a unique challenge and something we have not faced in a long freaking time. So Trump goes through this and tries to go through an election. What is what does he need to do? To come out of this as a, a, as a leader that people look up to and say, that's the guy I want in, in, in the clutch situation. I think the biggest mistake, in my opinion, that he's made is that because of how transparent he is, and that's something that's benefited him coming up, it's, it's a problem when all of his decisions, we're seeing him sort of think through those publicly. Yeah. When he tweets out, you know, I might quarantine these three states. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see later. Like that's, we don't need to see that thought process. We need to see good decisions. And I think he's ultimately made good decisions in this, in this process. But some of the, the talking through it that he does, it's sort of it, it's uncertain. It gets people kind of worked up and it gets people kind of tense. I think he needs to talk less, I, I think, if that makes sense. Tweet less, sort of focus in on just making good decisions. He's not going to have the economy on his side, most likely. There's nothing he can do about that. And unfortunately, a lot of people are going to die. So it's not going to be like a pretty clean right. way through this crisis. But I think he just needs to stay on message. He needs to stay focused. He needs to reassure people and don't do the sort of thing that that he's so good at, which is stirring things up. We're already stirred up because of his virus. We don't need any more extra conflicts. We don't need any more, you know, conflicts with them. You know, just avoid that kind of get above that because this is bigger than that. And if he does that, I think he can appeal to a lot of people who wouldn't normally vote for him. I don't know. I mean, is that going to happen? I don't know. He is who he is and he operates the way he operates. But to me, just as an observer, I would like to see just a, a little bit less of the noise and a little bit more of 
you know, when he's at those briefings, when he's just giving information, yeah. there's a lot of good there. Yeah. So let's just cut out some of the extra stuff and focus on what needs to be done. Yeah, don't get don't get baited by the media. I think right, because that's what they're doing. They're yeah. throwing things at him to get him to react so they can cut it up. You see how quickly they turn around ads yeah. you know, from the Biden campaign every time he says something a little bit sharp. Yeah. So just, you know, don't fall into that because that could undermine you come November. All right. Uh, Aaron Colon, staff writer at TheBlaze.com. Thanks for coming on the program. Thank you. Uh, now you can, of course, uh, get all of Aaron's work free at theblaze.com. And you can also uh, get uh, your content at Blaze TV as well. Uh, don't forget, you need a subscription to get Blaze TV. Uh, you can go there and get uh, 30 bucks off your uh, subscription price right now when you use the promo code STEW. And the good thing about that, you get 30 bucks off. And that's how they know that you like the stupid show when you sign up at blazetv.com slash stew. So double benefit there. Back in a second. Support the blaze. Tomorrow night, Glenn's got his big media coronavirus uh, special. We need your help to get these things done. Go to blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew and save 30 bucks on your subscription. See you tomorrow.